and I got in such a dark place of just covers over my head and not knowing what I wanted to do. And I, I got up one day and I said, okay, my heart's still beating, so I have a purpose. And my way of releasing uh, was writing a blog, and I'm an awful writer, but I wrote a blog and it was called Love Corkscrew. And it was based on people that used to come to my art gallery and would always say, Krishan, you always know the hottest clubs to go to. You always know great wines for us to bring to friends' house. You always know the coolest restaurants because that was my thing. I was a people person. I was always on the avenue. I was always, again, in high-end retail. So I knew all the cool things happening. And it took that for me to get out of this dark place, start writing the blog, and for me to say, got it. Wow, this is bigger than me. Welcome to another episode of How I Became, a podcast where I talk with individuals about the valuable lessons they've learned while navigating their way through life. In this episode, I'm talking with Krishan Lampley, owner and founder of Love Corks Group. Krishan not only talks about the founding of the wine brand, but the challenges she faced in being taken seriously as a black woman in an industry dominated by white men. We talk about her wines, her business model, and the future of her wine brand. Check out the show notes to links where you can purchase Love Corkscrew Wines. And at the end of the episode, Krishan provides a promotional code to get free shipping. Here now is the interview with Krishan. Krishan, I want to thank you for being on the show with me. I appreciate it. Let me start with this one question. Tell me about your life before wine. Oh, gosh, I feel like that's so long ago. Well, first of all, yeah. thanks for having me. I really appreciate uh, being here and uh, happy to be here. I would say my life before wine um, was almost the same. And what do I mean by that? Um, I've always been a sales, marketing um, person, uh, went from a salesperson to an expert. Uh, and I've been in more high retail, high-end retail than anything on Michigan Avenue for 20 years. Um, I've dibbled and dabbled a little bit everywhere. I lived in New York, uh, lived in Las Vegas, uh, came back uh, to move to Chicago and work in high-end retail. So I have been able to uh, be around so many amazing different people. And that's what gave me the skill set uh, to start my own business. So it was, it's always been work, 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 uh, sales work and, and meeting people because I just love people. Okay. But uh, the wine business. Um, it was a novice and a novice turned enthusiast and enthusiast uh, turned expert. Um, it was very much so of going from, I think back to my childhood, I was always a foodie. And a lot of people, you know, say that word and use it very loosely just because they like to eat. Right. But I always had a palate for a little, a little more advanced palate than my age. I enjoyed sushi and caviar at a, a young age. So I always had a little slightly advanced palate. And during the time um, I think about my college days, I really didn't drink much at all. But it was after college when the in thing was apple martinis and cosmos and mm -hmm. drops. I was not into that. I was going to, um, shout out to Enoch, I was going to Ben 36. I was going there and drinking flights and, and learning, and I enjoyed that aspect of it. So it started with just having a, a very um, curious palate, and it, it turned into just becoming uh, really, really into wines. And then it went to sales and distribution. I worked on the sales aspect uh, for a large distributor. So uh, it just went from enjoying something different and being curious uh, to working in the industry to then say, you know what, I'm going to take this curiosity. I'm going to take this work and lessons and, and grassroots of learning about the wine industry. I'm going to make it my own. I'm going to do something that everyone said I couldn't do. Now, that's interesting because working for a distributor gave you an idea and some insight. What did you learn specifically from working for a distributor that allowed you to really gain some advantage in starting your own brand? So it's interesting because simultaneously I owned an art gallery and bar. So the, in that aspect, um, it was hearing uh, from the customers what they wanted and wanting to support small batch wineries and vineyards and wanting something that they could not get everywhere. Where? Well, 
again, let's go back to the distribution side. I would hear the same thing. I would hear the same thing from the clientele I had. And I had one of the largest territories in Illinois, uh, the Naperville, Lyle, Lombard, Wheaton area, Aurora. Um, and I was on premise. So I serviced bars, restaurants, golf courses, nightclubs. And when they would see me coming, it was like the big bad sales associate that they had to buy from right? Because I had Crown, I had Smirnoff, I had Kettle One, I had everything that they had to buy. Well, in that was these deals uh, as salespeople that we would have, where we would sell you this crappy wine um, because it was part of the deal. Uh, and mm -hmm. I had no choice in what I sold them, right? If you want something free, here it is. This is this crappy wine and enjoy it, take it. They had to take it, but they were like, dang it, <laughs> I'm going to take it. However, they would always say the same thing. If I have our menu printed, what cool wines can we support? There's so many amazing local, and when I say local, I say local to the Midwest, mm -hmm. um, vineyards and wineries, how can we support them? And I just kept listening, listening, listening. And that's what uh, years and years and years later led me to love Corkscrew. Yeah, now I was talking with, um, I had a distributor on Sunday He's actually an importer and distributor. And I asked him the same thing because one of the things that I've seen as someone, I'm a wine enthusiast. I'm your average wine guy. I, I love wine. But when I go to restaurants, is unless it's a very specific restaurant that has a wine program, typically what I see is the same thing over yes. and over again. And yeah. it's not interesting. It's yep. not... And I feel like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll spend $9 for a glass because I want to sit here and enjoy a glass of wine. But I know this bottle only costs $14 at, yep, at you can go down the street. retail. Yeah. But <laughs> where, where in the distribution channels is there opportunity for the, the distributor to do the interesting? I guess this is for my own aside. Where is the opportunity to say, you know what? Brown Estate has this has this great Zinfandel. Can we get it in a restaurant in Chicago on Michigan Avenue? Probably. So herein not. lies the challenge. Exactly what I said. And I, I'm glad you you said that. As far as me telling you what I heard from clients, and and really contribute that to what you see when you go to restaurants. That's what the consumer sees, right? Exactly what I just said. It is. We have this deal. These are the main wines that come in this deal. <laughs> and this is what you're going to get. And right. you'll see that a lot of the restaurant menus have the same stuff. You're yes. absolutely right. Completely not interesting. But they are the big dogs of wine, whatever those brands are that you see. So to answer your question, Rodney a lot of Strong. times more yeah. interesting wines, small batch wines, uh, more of the POC wines, all that. We're not in mass distribution. Mm -hmm. So that takes a lot of money. It's not okay, the supplier or the winemaker like myself aren't wanting to get in these places. It's hard to get in these places. It took me eight and a half years for Love Corks to be on a nationwide scale in Walmart and Target and Whole Foods. So you have to understand it's not easy and it's it's sad. And I, I'm hoping that we can start making some changes now. Mm. You know what? Now, Love Corkscrew, I want to know the, the moment when you decided that, yes, I'm doing this. What was there a moment where it's just where you decided I'm just going to jump off of this clip and going for it? When I lost everything, I lost everything uh, when I lost the art bar and gallery um, and it was due to a bad flood. Our dram shop insurance didn't cover a flood caused by baby wipes from the condo owners above us since we were in a storefront. So when it came time to close that business, I lost some investment property I had and I got in such a dark place of just covers over my head and not knowing what I wanted to do. And I, I got up one day and I said, okay, my heart's still beating, so I have a purpose. And my way of releasing uh, was writing a blog, and I'm an awful writer, 
but I wrote a blog and it was called Love Corkscrew. And it was based on people that used to come to my art gallery and would always say, Krishan, you always know the hottest clubs to go to. You always know great wines for us to bring to friends' house. You always know the coolest restaurants because that was my thing. I was a people person. I was always on the avenue. I was always, again, in high-end retail. So I knew all the cool things happening. And it took that for me to get out of this dark place, start writing the blog, and for me to say, got it. Wow. This is bigger than me. The name is freaking awesome. And it it just was one of those things years ago that I'm like, okay, this is it. I don't know exactly where it's going to go, but this is something. Mm-hmm. And that was, gosh, 10 years ago. The name is awesome. The first time I heard it, it, it was like, that is a great name. It is just, it's perfect because, I, and I'm thinking about wine, right? Yes. The love, the love of it, the cork, because yes. I keep all of my corks too. <laughs> yes, yes. And there's something about taking that cork and... Mm. Yes. Pulling out. It's so sexy to me. Smelling the cork. Yes. Pouring it. You guys will have to forgive me in this podcast because at some point we may take a break and I may pour myself a glass of wine. <laughs> <laughs> so so now that you started the started the brand, what were some of the challenges? Because I know money is always the challenge of getting up and running, but what were some of the other challenges you faced? And I want to speak specifically to being a black woman in this industry, because we know there are a lot more black people coming into the industry now, but 10 years ago, that may not have been the case, right? At all, at all. When people ask like, who are my mentors? There was honestly no one uh, to be my mentor. Now, when I say that, understand, of course, we know the Mandela sisters um, that in Africa that were doing big things back in the day. Of course, of course. However, when you, you when someone says mentor, right. someone you can easily reach out to and say, beg you, I'll be your apprentice. Nobody could do that for me over 10 years ago. Uh, so... How has it been? Um, There's so many words I can use. So yes, besides finances uh, of it all, um, it's been challenging. People don't believe you. They question you nonstop. Um, Because I don't have a physical vineyard, I get questioned nonstop. From my own people, I get questioned nonstop. Um, There is the the woman side of it, um, being taken seriously in a male-dominated industry, Mm -hmm. male-dominated dominated um and an old white male dominated industry so it's it's a non-stop challenge and then i mean and not to be repetitive but to circle back to what we talked about distribution that's the hardest thing i, I use the analogy of having a mixtape and being like the best artist ever and never being heard and then the mediocre ones get these great commercial you know use and they're able Mm -hmm. to become stars right but that mixtape person says i have a way better voice i have perfect pitch and i'm great well if nobody ever hears you who cares Mm -hmm. so it is getting distribution being seen and being able to get out there like our white counterparts um it's extremely difficult and it's still Mm -hmm. consistently 10 years later for me it's still difficult now, do you get a question now about not owning a vineyard? Because I look at like Cameron Hughes, right? We know he doesn't have a vineyard. He buys the wine. He he does real simple emeritage lot forty seven. I don't know what that means. Yep. I just know that. Hey, did I like it? Oh, I liked it. I'll buy it again. Yep. Lot forty seven, the Meritage. I remember that one because I bought it. And I, I enjoyed it. And so it's it's in my brain. It's like, I like that wine. I'll buy it. I know there are a lot of vintners out there who are, I'm sourcing the wine. I'm sourcing Correct. the grape. Correct. And then there are the case where you source the grape or you source the, hey, I like your wine. Can I put my label on it? Absolutely. Right? So there are all of those ways of doing it because there are a thousand ways to be in this business. Literally a thousand ways. Literally a thousand ways. So I, I, 
I wonder why, maybe because the average consumer doesn't realize is that a place like, let's call the big hulking box brands of wine will take the same wine and put four different labels on it and sell it to you at four different price points, <laughs> you know? Exact same and, juice. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's like, here's the juice. It's like, put it over here and then uh, we'll put it over here and that it's the exact part. same one. We'll just make the la- label fancier, add $5 to it. And Boom. there you go. Boom. You know, and I'm glad you said that. Um, and I'm glad you brought this up because has it gotten better? Yes. The questions aren't um, as, I don't want to say ridiculous, but that's how it felt after a while. Like people would actually, I, I remember doing an event one time um, for Mariano's and a customer when I was doing the event, doing the tasting said, so do you make the wine in your bathtub? And I remember that. I'll never forget that because it crumbled me in on the inside, but I held my composure. I explained it. Um, but at that point I said, got it. Got it. So mm. this is where I'm at in the thought process. And this was a long time ago. This is six, seven years ago. So mm-hmm. it's now advanced, yes. However, there's still a lot of new wine drinkers. So there's still a lot of questions. Um, but to your point, I, I, I'm going to totally be controversial and say 80, 85% of the private labels do not have their own um, facility. And I'm going to say facility, not vineyard. Um, don't have their own facilities um, and definitely don't have their own vineyard. So yes, it, it's becoming a little more common, um, especially amongst celebrities um, mm-hmm. out there who are doing this a lot more. So that side of it um, is not um, as cringeworthy in some of the questions I used to get. Um, but there's still a lot of challenges. Um, and, and, uh, and, and I think the biggest one um, um, in the POC community is people compare us to others. And I don't like that part. That, that part irks me because we're all different. We have wines from all different parts of the region of different parts of the world. So if you come to me and say, oh my gosh, you have your own wine. And then they'll say, oh, so do you know the blah, blah, blah? I'm like, what, what does that have to do with, with my wine? Mm. <laughs> right. So I'm, so I'm hoping to, and when you, when you go up to them, are you saying the same thing? Do you know Love Corkscrew? So it, it's, it just becomes kind of anno- annoying sometimes. It recognize Love Corkscrew for uh, the Midwest and, and what I bring um, and, and the challenges I, I have coming from Chicago and being the first to do it in the entire Midwest um, from as a black woman. You know, and I think one of the things that is probably the message there is you pick your lane and you went with it Period. and it's working for you because I saw the map on your website where, where you're distributed. And it's like, yeah, that's, that's nice. Made and, sense, I mean, right? <laughs> you know, it's nice because it's one of the things that there is a, on my, on my social media page, I have um, this group of friends. I call them my budding sommeliers, right? Yes. Because they're not, wine drinkers they're learning and i tell them well this is the approach to wine if you taste it and you like it then you drink it period (laughs) it's it's that simple we're not here to i i like the fact that i listen to the podcast uh wine for normal people and i love that podcast because her whole take is she takes the snobbery out of wine yes yes and you know, so, and to me, that's what wine should be because they're young people. And I realize they say young people aren't drinking wine because, but wine does require a bit of an education, right? It's not Absolutely. like Budweiser. Correct. So at 21, I can drink a Budweiser. I don't, it tastes, yep. like I just beer. doubt it, right? <laughs> um, you know, I get my Jack Daniels, my Jack and Coke, fine. But by 28, 29, the palate starts to change. You want a little, you get a little more sophisticated, like you said, and you will eventually turn over into wine and then you start exploring what you like. But um, so I think that's the case with wine. So I always think there will always be a place for wine. Agreed. Um, Agreed. It's not going anywhere (laughs) ever. Oh, no, no, it's been around for Right. It's not going anywhere. <laughs> 2000 is like, this is a 5,000 year old harvest. I mean, right. uh, 
is is <laughs> grapes will be around and Forever. even with climate change they will find different grapes to grow in a region you got it you, you know got it. so so when you got the brand and you started and you started in chicago you were just basically straight to consumer or were you trying to get through the uh through to the distributors. So it's funny. I did exact opposite of what I would tell anyone to do based on my background in sales, marketing, and working for a distributor and owning an art gallery and bar. So I had had kind of all the, the trifecta, that the perfect trifecta, um, to be able to launch a little bigger, if you will, mm-hmm. um, than what I would suggest anyone doing. Um, what do I mean by that? I was able to um, really sit down with a good, a small distributor at the time, um, but very good distributor um, that could get me into the larger stores. And literally my first two stores uh, was Kim Bark Liquor and Mariano's. Like mm-hmm. it was just like, boom. And that was my relationships um, that was on all sides, right? So that was my relationships on the distribution side when people knew I worked for one of the largest distributors in the country. It was the other side of people knowing me from my art gallery and, and trusting I wrote the wine list. I get it. I'm in this industry. I'm in it. So it was a lot of that for me to be able to go to a distributor and say, this is the most perfect wine for what we need now, What what's missing. The middle tier wine, the name I have is killer. I've created this these logo and, and uh, these double entendres. It took two years to make it perfect. This has gone on a serious procurement, like everything that I, and I attribute that to what? My sales and marketing background. Mm-hmm. So it's like, again, I had like this trifecta of like, oh gosh, for me, it was duh. For everybody else, it was like impossible. <laughs> you can't do that. For me, it was like, I didn't. So no, I did not go straight to consumer. I went straight for the gusto, straight to store, the legal way, um, completely got my my permit. My, I'm federally licensed. I made sure I got that importer, exporter, and I went straight for the gusto. Hmm. So that's interesting. So the benefit of starting off in that industry gave you the experience, the relationship, the connections to really launch in a way that if I were to start my brand, I could not launch like that. Right. I, I would have to. It. Yeah. Not at all to anyone. <laughs> <laughs> how, how, what would you suggest if, if I say, you know, quick start creative should be a wine. Mm-hmm. Right. And I know this wine, Traverse City has, I love the Rieslings out of Traverse City, right? Mm-hmm. Let me go grab some grapes, crush them up in my bathtub, right? Yep. And, <laughs> and I'm going to put it in a bottle, throw some rubbing alcohol in it, sell the wine. All yep. right. That's not how I want to do it. Right. But, <laughs> right. <laughs> but the question is, is that then as it stands now, you're, you're, you're a decade into the game new people coming into the game, what are you seeing them do and how has technology, the internet changed what is possible with not only your brand, but with new brands coming into the market? Glad you threw the technical part into it because uh, I think back to 10 years ago, Facebook and Instagram and TikTok, I mean, come on, it's not even... uh, ounce of what it is to to net you know now to this day um and it's honestly the reason how love course grew has become um as big as it has but if i go back um to the beginning and i do mentor a lot and the first thing i tell people is do everything i did not do i want you actually to take advantage of the technology and actually take your w set courses um get these grants that are and they're giving money away to get educated, get educated. In addition to that, I do want you to do a procurement on people, people, not just friends and family, right? Friends and family may not know anything about wine, but in your wine communities, yes, send to consumer direct. And when I say this legally, private, um, privately 
have a, a, a tasting at, in your home or whatever you know works for you to really know if this is what makes sense. Go to those wine shops, those friends that you've, you've made at these wine shops and, and uh, people that you know just enjoy wine and have them taste out your wines to make sure it makes sense. But when you're getting the education piece, you're also finding out what could be lacking. Because at the end of the day, there's thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands, and I can say that about 20 more times, of wines out there. What makes yours stick out? Mm -hmm. So what if you like it? So what? The, the palate is so different. Everyone's palate. It, it's, it, wine is so subjective. It's not even funny. So what you may like and your wife may like or your husband may like or your boyfriend, girlfriend may like does not mean the masses will like it. Mm -hmm. And if if everyone loved it, I go back to that mixtape, right? If you don't have the ability to get out to the masses, so what if your wine is absolutely spectacular in 96 points? Who cares? Who cares? Mm. Yeah. So it, it, I really want people to start with doing that procurement um, with, with people and really working for free in the industry. Go intern at a shop or, or um, you know, speak to some sommeliers in, in the industry. Managers, restaurant managers are the best um, to really get an idea of what customers want. Ask the questions, but do the things. I don't go for it because you're going to lose a lot of money and you're going to go broke. Don't do what I did. Mm, okay. Slowly progress. Okay. Let's talk specifically uh, about the wines and your philosophy, when you started the branding, you started deciding, okay, source, sourcing, where do you source from? And I know you source from the Midwest quite a bit. And so, which I think we're underrated Very. in the Midwest. Very. You know, it's almost same thing like New York, like New York Finger Lakes. Yes. Is, is much better than the reputation stands for. The Midwest, I think, I think upstate Michigan just produces great reasons. Agreed. It, it, it and, but everyone's talking about California, Oregon, Washington. It's like, and then they stop there. Then all of a they, sudden, it's out of the country, right? Yeah, <laughs> and even North Carolina is starting to uh, do some things. And as an aside, Texas still has horrible wine. Yep. I don't care what anyone says. That is, <laughs> I was just there a few weeks ago. This is not in the podcast. I'm, I'm going to make sure. Let me say, it was terrible. And it's I okay. went through. You can say that. <laughs> I, no, it's not. It wasn't okay. I was so disappointed. <laughs> I was like, this is, this is trash. What are you guys doing? I bought the bottle and oh. I, and I went live on it. I was like, I got to pour this out. That is awesome. That and is I never really pour a wine out, you know, <laughs> except that and a uh, pinotage. I threw a pinotage out. Fair. I can't, yeah, can't can't stand those. That is so. Hilarious. But anyway, but I I do like the fact that you source from the Midwest because I think we're we're under the radar and we're punching below our weight um, as far as the quality of wines that. The Midwest 100%. is capable of producing. One hundred percent agree, and and that's exactly why I did it. Um, so to to answer the question of like why why my wines are for for certain areas and why did I source from certain areas, it was going back to what I was hearing, what I was hearing from um, the procurement I did for years from clientele, um, in the distribution side and in the bar owner side that they wanted to support local. There's more people that know about it because they have their second homes in Michigan. So that part, they knew that there's some amazing farmers out there um, that grow amazing, amazing grapes. So it was me saying, okay, I'm sick of the Midwest as a whole getting a bad rap, as well as I'm like, wait a minute, I'm a Chicago girl. I'm going to do exactly what everybody says I can't do. And I'm sick of the Midwest being just affiliated and thought of as, oh, they just do the sweet box wine out in, in the Midwest. So I wanted to get that mentality out of people's minds. So I said, you know what? I'm going to take all these contacts. I'm going to drive up. I flew to some places, drove to some places. And uh, I said, I want to, that sales marketing side, I want to prove uh, to the masses that 
not only are Midwest wines great, but I'm going to take my skill set and, and create Love Corkscrew and outsell you like times three in your own juice. I've outsold all the vineyards I've worked with times five um, in their own juice. So it was bringing light to amazing, amazing grape growers here in the Midwest. And I, I had to show them, show them some good light. It's not just about California. It's not just about New Zealand. It's not just about Washington State. And and I really want, definitely not just about Oregon. And I wanted to make sure I, I showed it. And I think I did. How has that, I imagine then that the success of Love Corkscrew with the wines and the sourcing of the wines that you have, how has that helped you even more so if like if you go to Michigan now, is it now that you're in and you have some leverage to go to places and really start um, sourcing? And I don't want to go into the deep end of the pricing, everything like that, sure. but, you know, leverage with pricing and things like that. So I'm a superstar in, in Michigan. So when I come, it's, they throw out the red carpet um, because just, again, I've been doing it for so long from Michigan. Um, I'll say the money that they've made off of Love Corkscrew alone uh, gives me star power there. Um, but it has um, opened up uh, to a point where that uh, they're trying to sell me or convince me uh, to take certain varietals because they want to help move their certain crops, right? Um, but I can't do that. I have to stay true to what I want uh, to offer in varietals because there's 50 million gazillion varietals, right? <laughs> so I want to make sure I stay true to Love Corkscrew. Um, but it's been great. Now, I will say this. Um, Love Corkscrew is growing at a such lar large rate, such a large rate, that I cannot continue to source everything uh, from the Midwest just because we don't have enough juice, period. Um, mm -hmm. Which is, you know, good thing and bad thing. Great thing for the company, um, but I do have to, you know, continue to grow and and grow my company and, and think of Love Corkscrew and myself. So um, I will start sourcing um, elsewhere um, as uh, as the company grows. Um, but I think uh, I think Love Corkscrew put Michigan on the map, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna say that I, I did it. and I'm gonna hold true to it. Don't act. Okay. They say. <laughs> can I make a Can I make a suggestion then? Sure. Uh, North Carolina. I like what they're doing in North Carolina, just north of, uh, of um, let's see, just north of the border, south of, um, at, what is that? What's the, I'm terrible my, with it, but. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, uh, Asheville, I wanna say it's Asheville. Okay. But just south of Asheville, there's a great, there's some great wineries out there. Uh, I was out there last year and I flew into Greenville, South Carolina, drove up and was really surprised with was really surprised with the wine. Uh, there was a cab that I had that mm. was really nice. It was a nice it was a nice cab. Um, so they are doing some interesting things in in North Carolina. And and I think that's a place that maybe, like you said, because of the sourcing, having to go to California or Washington. It's tricky, right? It's tricky. Yeah. Um, just the climate um, and the amount of land and space um, and just the ability. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, yes, California has a ridiculous ability in all parts of California um, to be able to house, to be able to, uh, to take through the entire process. Like I can hold tanks in California, in warehouse spaces mm -hmm. of wine if I wanted to. That's not common elsewhere Right. Um, for the masses. When, when I say that, I'm literally talking about for the masses in large distribution. I'm not talking about, um, you know, some, some of the small batch situations. So it's tricky. Um, and understand if we want to talk a little bit about the money size, when you're sourcing from smaller tanks, smaller abilities, smaller vineyards and wineries, prices are going to be higher. So it's going to be harder to mass produce larger, um, larger uh, cases and production in gallons of wine. So, you know, it does get to a point where you're kind of stuck. You're kind of stuck going west. Um, and one of the reasons why I'm, I'm out west now. So it, it just it, it, unfortunately, unfortunately, um, as you grow uh, as a company, you got to go where the juice is. Mm -hmm. Now, what's your philosophy on picking 
the styles because one of the things that I do, I never say I don't like a a particular grape, except peanutage, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> you know, what I will say is I may not have enjoyed that style. Style, correct. Right. And so, correct. so certain, like if I have a Malbec, I tend to like mine's kind of big, jammy, but still acidic, mm-hmm. but I still want it big, mm-hmm. right? And then there are cases where my Chardonnay, I like it crisp. I I like it not you don't buttery. Like herbal and buttery. No, I, I like it crisp. Okay. I, I, I like that crisp. But if in certain cases, though, I have had that oaked Chardonnay where I thought it's not bad. And so I'm always open. But if I were to think about a brand of, wine that I would think, okay, let me try to pick something that could sell. I'm not sure I could get out of my own way. That part. How do you get out of your own way and understand the market and selecting this and saying this, I want to position this wine here at this price point. That's where it will work. That- how do you, how do you, how do you do that? That's a great, great question. And it really came from my sales background. Um, I had to say to myself, okay, it's not about me. And I think a lot of some psalms get in their way. Um, and and that, that fact, um, I think a lot of wine professionals get in their, way, their own way uh, of saying, what do I like? What do I respect? What do I drink? because this is 96 points and from this, this is my go-to. That does not mean everyone else likes what you like. So I don't wanna say it was easy, but it was me putting myself in that mental state and listening. I was very, very lucky. Very, very lucky to hear for years, all different people from different areas and aspects, from the far west suburbs, to the south suburbs, to downtown Chicago. And I took that procurement and I said, what am I hearing the most? I'm hearing sweet. I'm hearing dry. But then when people say dry, they're not really talking about the deep, dark camuses of the world. They are talking a little lighter Pinot Noir, actually. So I'm really listening to people. And I said, okay, if I'm going to produce, in my mind, I did something crazy. If I'm going to produce literally five wines off the jump, Private labels normally do one or two. If I'm a big five, where am I going to go with it? I thought sales 101. I'm thinking like, okay, where do we have to hit? We have to hit the sweet side. We have to hit the dry side. We have to hit the semi-dry side. We have to hit the semi-sweet side. And what fits in those categories? So it wasn't about what Krishan likes. Because I like my wine so dry I can cut it with a knife. I like a deep, dark anything. So, But I said, that's not what the average wine novice and enthusiast Mm. drinks. I was not trying to hit wine experts. That was not the demographics I cared about. It was Mm. what was missing in the industry. It wasn't me being a wine snob and saying, oh la la, because I say this, you need to drink that. No, it was what do people, what do I think people are gonna like? And what's gonna hit right in the middle, not cheap, not expensive, but right in the middle. And I think I did that. My wine is not going to be for everyone, and not all my varietals are going to be from everyone, and that's okay. But I think I, I hit most everyone. If you like this, you're going to like Love Corkscrews that. Mm-hmm. And and I yes. think I hit it. Oh, the price point is fine because I am a – I'm what you would call a 15 to $25 man. Yes, and right? that's who I wanted to hit. My, yeah. my world is that because then – I never mind if it was if it was okay, great, semi okay. Doesn't make a difference because it only cost me fifteen dollars. Yep. And I'm going to drink it. And and I'm one of those, see, I'm one of those guys who I'll spend if I spend forty dollars on a wine, it's because the winemaker. Yes. That guy, yes. Danny Glover, <laughs> his wine. I want that wine. Yep. Give it yep. to me. Yep. I, I don't even, 
I'm not even asking you how much it costs. I know it costs more than the average. What the Just average give it to me. Yep. Yep. When I went to Napa Valley, we the first thing we walked in was we went into Brown Estate tasting room. Mm-hmm. And she was like, you want to do a tasting? I'm like, nope, I'm here to buy the wine. Yep. That's it. And my wife said, it was 45. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Yep. That's that what wine, you came to do. Give it to me. I came to do that wine. Um, so I'm one of those that if I go above the 25, it's because I'm going for the winemaker or the vineyard or something like that, that particular thing. But at $15, $20, I know I can get great wine anywhere. Period. Right? 100% can. And one of my great, great friends, I mean, he grew up straight in the hood, like Cabrini Green hood. And he is a very, very successful uh, financial analyst now. And he said to me, this is so many years ago, he said, Krishan, I have a feeling if you do your wine where somebody's not taking more than two 20s out their pocket and they can buy two bottles, that's it. Nobody's going to want to break or add a th- Somebody always has $40 in their pocket. They don't have 60, but they got two 20s. That's if they got 20s. two 20s, they're going to buy two bottles of wine. I kid you not, when I first started and was selling at some of the festivals and things, what would people take out? Two 20s. And they mm-hmm. had just enough to buy my wine. Two bottles. Yes. And, and I, that was it. No, I think that's perfect because what I look for is that, like I had, I've gone through my stash, but I had 12 bottles that were, for, they were very specific for a specific meal, for a specific occasion. Mm. I had another 30 bottles for, I'm just going to drink. Yep. But when I would throw a party, it was, let me go get Pinot Grigio, Chardonnay, and some type of blend. Yep. Right? I would go get a blend because I knew I'm not pulling out the Zinfandel for you guys because half of you won't like it. Yep. Right? Yep. Not okay. But Pinot Grigio is easy. Chardonnay easy. is easy. Easy. A blend, a meritage, uh, a nice, cheap um, Bordeaux blend. Easy. Easy. You, you'll like it. Uh, a Pinot Noir. Super easy. Who doesn't like Pinot? Right. right. Super easy. You know, so now that you've. So I want to go this way with it. The marketplace. Yeah. Right. The expansion of the marketplace, especially with. A lot of more, a lot more black winemakers coming into the industry. Yes. Are you finding that is fraternal with the with the um, black winemakers, or is it more competitive? It's competitive, and it's not. It's not what we chose. It's competitive because these uh, corporations and or stores are making us compete to get that shelf space, whether it be an end cap with these particular black owned wines, right? So it's almost like they're they're putting us against each other instead of just having us all there, which you actually 100% could. If, if, and when I say all, I'm being very selective when I say that. I'm saying ones that have distributors are in distribution and have the wine in quantities. So I just eliminated a whole bunch of people who have the quantity to be able to push our product out in cases to these stores around the country, just have us all. I just gave you a very small knit of us. So why then are you taking that small knit and then only picking like two or three or saying that I'm going to put this one in the small stores here, or this one has way more marketing than that one. So what? But we all are with the same large distributors. What are you talking about? So we're not choosing to be um, crabs in a crab barrel at all, at all. Um, But we are definitely being pinned against each other. Um, And I hate it. I hate it. Um, So we are fighting for shelf space. Now, when I say this, understand not only are we, we're not fighting with each other, we're being put against each other. Mm. Um, But we're also simultaneously fighting for shelf space from everybody else, (laughs) which is 99.9% of the rest of the industry. (laughs) So it's extremely difficult. 
um, because we are more easily getting kicked off the shelves than anyone else. So if you don't make it in this one set for this one small knit of time, that means you didn't do enough. And what does enough mean? Enough means more money. Enough means you had a million dollars to put it behind marketing. That is way more than anything that you'll ever make on those particular wines. So that's hard because those other companies do have that multi-million dollar marketing effort because they have a ridiculous amount of different products, not just yeah. wine. They have wine and spirits. So it's, it's very difficult and it still is challenging. And I think I'd, honestly, I don't see it not being challenging for a long time to come. Hmm. So what is the marketing strategy now? Because I think Love Course Group may be in a different space because you're more known than most black winemakers. I mean, I can name, like I said, I can name you. I can name Danny Glover, Brown Estate. Mm -hmm. Those are the three that just, I know those three. Yes. 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 Those three. Um, then there is the uh, the sisters, the yes. two sisters who I'm, just. I'm usually named in their same group. <laughs> yeah. So, but I, but the thing is, I've never had their wine, yeah. and I can't remember their name. I just remember their sisters. So, mm-hmm. so until I've experienced their wines, I probably, I there's a good chance I won't remember their names until I've experienced the wine. So, unless I read more about them, but sure, sure. those are the four that come to mind. But I know there are a lot more. Sure. So, so I guess for them, for you, you're you're known. But how do you grow in this industry that is very competitive? You know, just by nature, is competitive, and sometimes it can be a little bit trendy. So the natural wine movement, organic. Um, all of those and orange wine, which is terrible. Yeah. I, I, I should hope you don't ever do an orange wine. I promise you. I promise. Okay. You. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to get off on a tangent of people saying, Hey, we should grow wine like this. It's like, you know what? We spent 300 years trying Thanks. not to grow wine like that. <laughs> like, no. And when people ask me about different fruit wines, I'm like, no, no, it's, it's just not uh, me. Hey, no. if you like it, I love it, but it just ain't me. It just ain't okay. me. <laughs> So what what's what is what is next? How do you get to that next level in this industry uh, with the understanding that it is competitive and but you have to keep going, you have to grow. Continue to get the nose, continue to get the heartbreaks, continue to break down every now and then, um simultaneously continuing to get out and 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 continue pounding the pavement and whatever that looks like. I'm not able to do what I used to do. What I used to be able to do is me, myself, inside a store doing a three-hour tasting and saying, everybody come see me at this particular store and selling six cases in an hour. I wish I, I wish there was five thousands of me to be able to do that around because it's my baby. I'm not saying I'm special, but it's my baby, right? So mm-hmm. I'm going to push it like nobody else can. So that being said, I because I can't do it that any that way anymore, and I have staff, and I have states, and I have to fly to different states. I have to do it at a bigger scale. I'm nonstop selling myself. I'm nonstop bugging distributors. I work with distributors that still don't return my emails quick. So it's not like I'm getting treated so great by all the, these people who are selling my product. I still have to say, hey, aren't you going to order again? And what if one account is not is collecting dust on off the shelf? I have to kiss their butt to say what's going on. Why? What? Well, well, it's probably because you got me at the bottom and I can't see it. Nobody can see it, can find it. So there's it's nonstop. Um, so it's it's a blessing and a curse. Love Corkscrew because of the name and my presence and really being out there and being transparent and people hearing my story know me even more than they know my wine because they had access to me via social media but maybe couldn't find my wine in stores in their state. Some still right. can't. Um, yes, I ship around the, the entire country, but I'm not distributed around the entire country. Right now I have 12 states. So it's nonstop getting out there and getting on the shelf so someone can actually touch a bottle that I have to work on. And 
It could happen overnight. Tomorrow I can get a call and say, I'll, I'll be on every single shelf in the entire country. Or it could be five years from now and they say, Krishan, oh, yeah, no, we're just going to keep you in actually 10 states now. So we're actually taking you out of two. Like it could be so many things that can happen now. So I wish I had the answer, um, which I don't. But um, I, I think that Love Corkscrew is bigger than me. It's bigger than the wine. And it's showing people that you can make it an industry that doesn't look like you. And you do have a story. And your story is more important because Love Corkscrew has outlasted some celebrity wine. Mm -hmm. I've seen celebrity wines last like a year with huge names and I'm still moving. I'm still right. I'm still there. I'm coming. Krishan is coming. Right. <laughs> so I've worked everything from grassroots. And instead of this is my best analogy, I, I took some soil and a seed and water and I grew it as opposed to taking a tree and just planting it. Mm -hmm. So I'm still growing and, and I'm still uh, nurturing it. Wow. That's a great story. So normally at the end of a podcast, I would ask, how do people get in contact with you? But let's do it differently here. How do people buy your wine? So easy. You're going to go on lovecorkscrew.com. You'll go into the location section under shop and you'll type in your zip code. If Love Corkscrew is not in your area, it will say, Buy it online because Love Corkscrew is not in your area. So you literally just buy it. I'll even for the podcast, give you guys the discount code. It's love. Use the discount love. That'll save on, on shipping costs and order Love Corkscrew that way. But we are, again, in 12 states. We are, we are hitting a lot of huge, huge stores from Myers to Total Wines and more, Walmart. So uh, you will be able to find Love Corkscrew soon. But again, if it's not in your area, you will be able to buy it online. Okay. And for those of you in the Chicago area, we can get it here in Everybody. Chicago. So, Love Corkscrew is off just about you. There's no way you can tell me you cannot find Love Corkscrew in Chicago. I we know can one get place you 100% can in every single store, and that's Jewel Osco. Yep. That's perfect. Okay, Krishan, I appreciate this conversation. It's been great. I've always wanted to talk with you, and but it took me a year to actually get the podcast going. Um, but I appreciate your time. It's been a pleasure and I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Much love and light. Thanks for listening to the show. Please leave a rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. That helps get rankings and make it easier for people to find the show. Check out the links in the notes. Also, leave a comment. Let us know what part of the show you enjoyed and what was most impactful. Share this episode with your network and help us spread the word about the podcast. As always, you can contact me at thequickstartcreative at gmail.com. Thanks for your time and make it a great day.